back on the Fan Morning Show. Scores at 590. Justin and Ailish. And tonight, the Blue Jays try to make it back-to-back wins over the Phillies. Feels like another under game. Tidy little sweep. Sweep opportunity available. Yes, it does. Like a midweek sweep. Jeff Blair, our insider, brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. How come there's no uh, Jay's Care auction items to join Blair and Barker show and, and be an intern? We've got enough interns. <laughs> I do it for free. I do it for no, free just to learn with you true. guys. That's not true. No, uh, I, I, we're not important enough. I mean, we like to fly under the radar <laughs> a little bit too. They, they just did. The bidding would be out of control. That's why. It's like, well, no. I mean, you, you have to be. You have to be a TV star to get in, in this, mm, and okay. that's that's fine. Well, there we'll is just, in the we'll booth lurk with in ben the shadows. Wagner. Ben Wagner has his own uh, auction item. So yeah, uh, but Ben's been on TV. That's true. Yeah, I see you guys yeah, watch you guys TV on TV every day, daily. Jeff. Yeah. Don't sell okay. yourself short. <laughs> next nah, year get, we'll make we'll make a package next year and it'll it'll go for record numbers. Um you say Kikuchi was just prime time viewing last night and has been for at least his last six starts, leading them will be in ERA since the all star break. Uh, do you have Kikuchi fever or are you just you know, you're just treading lightly with that? No, I mean I wouldn't say I have Kikuchi fever, but uh I, I will say this if the Jays were to make the playoffs It'd be an interesting debate as to how you set up the starting pitching. And, you know, when you think six weeks ago, seven weeks ago, mm-hmm. we would look at this and we'd go, well, if Brios keeps doing what he's doing and Bassett keeps doing what he's doing, uh, you, you probably think of moving Kikuchi into the bullpen. That stuff might play out of the bullpen. But now there's no way for me that he doesn't get a start in uh, in the postseason. I mean, this is really since going back to – I don't. I can't remember. I think it was a start against the Mets in the first week of June, where for whatever reason he adjusted. He made some sort of adjustment with his slider, and it started to look like a slider instead of sort of a bastardized pitch that uh, was kind of a cutter and and really didn't do much for him. Uh, going back to that start, he's he's been lights out, and you know it's interesting hearing his comments after the game yesterday about, uh, in in addition to the slider, sort of being comfortable with this curveball now and being able to rely on the curveball. And it, it made me think back to something that dudes like Pedro Martinez used to always talk about, and that was how the curve in some ways was a self-correcting pitch for them. In other words, if they felt a little out of whack mechanically they would intentionally throw a curve because for a curve to be effective, everything pretty much has to be in sync. So I, I wonder, I haven't talked to him about this, but I wonder if maybe that isn't something else that's at work here. The the curve is just kind of a pitch that, you know, keeps your body lined up right and, 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 and helps you keep that that rhythm you need to uh, to complete your pitches. But, I mean, yeah, he's he's a different dude. And he has become a guy that gives the other team uncomfortable at-bats. 
Yeah, I mean, that's definitely all true. It seems like he's getting better and better. And I guess to get better and better, uh, I guess maybe there needs to be some sort of evolution, maybe adding or just feeling and and looking more comfortable out there. But either way, it just seems like Yusei Kikuchi every time out there just has a little bit more to give. And I guess that was the case yet again after another great start that leads to a victory. Uh, We were talking in the first block, just like if you go through a playoff series and you don't use this guy, this asset, this pitcher Mm -hmm. at your disposal, you probably going to be kicking yourself after if it doesn't go your way and maybe they you know maybe they're swept away in two or they win in two or whatever and you're you're, you plan on using them in game three and that's not the case or you didn't have the opportunity to use them I guess that's possible but it just feels like it would be such a waste to not have this guy uh contributing for you in big big spots uh now that we've I don't know if we've reached a consensus but it seems like everyone's getting to that point like you got to use Kikuchi is it as simple as Chris Bassett takes the the back seat if we're talking and charting out the path forward in a potential wildcard series? I mean, part of the issue, I think, is we don't, you know, we don't have access to the same data that the Jays do and the same analytics that they do. And you know as well as I do that the analytics will have a say in how this thing sets up. And a lot will depend, on, and, and rightfully so. I mean, a lot will depend on the opponent. A lot will depend on swing pass and things of that nature. There may be opponents that Chris Bassett matches up against better than you say Kikuchi. Um, you know, again, you say Kikuchi is a lefty. That does, that might factor into it. But I mean, the point is, you know, you we've gone from you know, wondering what the hell you do with this guy to looking at this contract now and thinking, boy, this may be one of the best deals Ross Atkins has tossed out to anybody because uh, I mean, he's been you know the the value you are getting now from you say Kikuchi is is remarkable. I mean he he's he's worth he's a pitcher who's worth two or two and a half times his salary right now. So how about the bullpen? Uh we get to see Jordan Hicks and Jordan Romano, the Jordan uh, double headed uh, dragon at the end of the uh, the end of the game with throwing lightning, was it uh, how John Schneider explained Dra- it? Dragons would be fire. But yeah, if you well, want to go he can do both, a... okay? okay? They're a special type of dragon. Uh, getting to see those guys back-to-back, uh, that little one-two punch, the way that this bullpen is shaping up, and specifically with Chad Green and Trevor Richards still coming, uh, is the is the game plan going to be uh, just win 2-1 games from now on? Well, it may have to be <laughs> because <laughs> I think the chances of... Uh, I mean the rotation's done this all year, so I think we need to we can we can cease. Yeah, it's not that we've been doing it, but it, I mean the rotation's done it this year. So I don't think it, it, if the rotation continued to do this the rest of the year, I don't think we'd be surprised. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bullpen has been really good. The bullpen will probably get better. I'm not. <laughs> I'm still not entirely comfortable with Jordan Hicks. I mean, I am when he pitches the way he did last night. And maybe that's the key is to keep him out of the keep him out of the ninth inning, uh, and, and let him sort of handle that eighth inning, that eighth inning role. But um, it, look, if I mean I don't, I think this offense is what it is. I'd like to think they're going to score more than two runs and win a game, you know, by having a batter get hit. You you you'd think at some point when Bo gets back, that that'll probably help that a little bit. But it, it's going to be interesting to see how this bullpen gets handled by John Schneider because the wild card in all this is Chad Green. If Chad Green is anything like Chad Green pre-surgery, I mean, you literally have one, two, three, four options for that eighth inning. You know, you've got Hicks, Swanson, Garcia, I guess five because you can throw Richards in there, and then Green. 
Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how they work that out. And and that kind of gets back to the point about if getting into the playoffs. I mean, that how do you, how do you use your non-starting starter in, in in that situation? Like it's great to have all these relief arms, but it John Schneider really has to figure out in about a week how the hell they're all going to be used and how he's going to stack them together. Yeah, and we, I forgot Tim Mays is a sixth. <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely very important, uh, Tim Mays. We were talking about this uh, earlier. You know, it, it looks they have it all from a bullpen perspective. Like if you, it's above average, I guess, at every slot. If you compare, you know, what, who would be at the low end of the totem pole for the Blue Jays, might be in a big spot for even a decent team around Major League Baseball. But we were going the quantity versus quality thing, and like I asked Morosi this uh, in the seven a.m. hour, like what would you rather have? Would you have two or three complete dominant in control wipeout guys, two or three guys that can go out there every single playoff game, and you know you're going to get uh, it's going to be very very difficult for the opposition to get anything off those guys. Or do you want the options? Do you want the depth? Do you want to be really good where you're the weakest guy? The weakest guy in the chain is better than the weakest guy on any other chain. Is it quality or quantity? What means more uh, in the playoffs? Because you could argue the regular season and when you're forced to put Mitch White on the bump and lose games because Mitch White is your only option, you can make the argument that you need that full complement, that you need the full complement of bullpen arms in order to get through 162. But does what matters in 162 matter when it's, uh, you know, when it's the playoffs and you're playing maybe a little bit more of a uh, disjointed schedule? What matters the most, quality over qu- or quantity for you when it comes to a bullpen in the playoffs? I mean, I think it's still, uh, it's quality at the back end. You know, you get to the playoffs and you know, basically you don't care about your arms in the playoffs. Right. You, I mean, you shred them if you have to. You look at what the Houston Astros have done. You look at what at, at L.A. has done, uh, Philadelphia to a certain degree. But you get to the playoffs, it's whoever is the best available arm in that particular day. If that's a starting pitcher who has been bumped out of the rotation, uh, then it's a starting pitcher who's been bumped out of the rotation. At that point, I, you're just using, you're using your best arms. And you're not worried, I don't think, about feelings. Um, it, it's, you know, and, and again, I keep getting back to this, but it's also about matchups and it's also about what the analytics say and, and, and thing and, and things of that nature. But to me, it's more, if you can give me two premier arms at the back end of the bullpen, two guys that I know are going to give me, they're going to give me X on this night, regardless whether it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, whether it's home or away, if I know I'm going to get that, out of those two particular guys, I can make the rest of it work. And so I've always, I would always rather have quality at the back end of the bullpen. And if that's the case, you know, coupled with the fact that the Jays have a good rotation, it's not like if you're the Jays, you're going to want to be playing a five inning game with your rotation necessarily. I mean, if Kevin Gossman's going, you're not going to sit there and say, well, we've got this deep bullpen. Let's take Kevin Gossman out after the fifth inning. Or if Jose Barrios, who's dominant at home, is going, you're not going to say, well, we've got this dominant bullpen. Let's take Jose Barrios out after four and two thirds. Uh, you're just, you're not going to do that. So, yeah, it, it's quality at the back end to me. Quantity's nice, you know, looks, arm angles, all that stuff. But the two dudes at the end of the game, they've got to be guaranteed lockdown guys uh, if I'm going to have success in the postseason.
Chatting with Jeff Blair, host of Blair and Barker. Um, so Bo Bichette was uh, unfortunately rained out from uh, part of his rehab assignment last night. Same with a bunch of people down at uh, the Bisons. But when he does return, I was listening to you guys kind of go back and forth about where he's most needed. Is it uh, to DH or to be in shortstop and how you're going to utilize him best and, and what the timeline should be on Bo Bichette. But when you look at that lineup when he's not in it, it's it's tough, right? So what do you think the best use of Bo Bichette is if you have a choice or is it just get him in there and do everything once he returns? No, nah, for me, he he has to be at shortstop. Um, I would like to see him hit third. I'm pretty certain they're going to hit him second. Uh, but he's got to be at shortstop for me. Mm-hmm. Um, y- you know, if he's a DH, that means Kirk and Belt. Well, Kirk, I wouldn't necessarily mind. But, you know, if he's DHing full time, I mean, Brandon Belt does have a utility in this team. He does get in base. And there's a value in that, especially if you have Bo hitting third behind him. There, there's a real value in that and having having Belt on base and, and putting Bo in position to drive him in. But to me, he's got to play shortstop every day. And, and frankly, he has to do that because I don't want to see Paul DeYoung take another at bat. So <laughs> yeah. uh, it, it's that simple. I, I just don't. Um, I understand why the Jays got him. It's a smart move. Didn't cost him anything. Veteran shortstop. Paul DeYoung probably will play not a significant role down the stretch, but he'll play a role. There will be games where he will be at shortstop. I'm sure Bo's going to need some time off coming back from this. So that's fine. I'm prepared to live with that. I'm not prepared to seeing to seeing his bat in the lineup on a, on a day-to-day basis. So Bo has to come back and play shortstop for me. And... I mean, I'm conflicted. Here's the thing. I've never seen Bo have to recover from an injury. I mean, he's had minor aches and pains in the past where he's missed a game, or I think a couple of years ago he may have missed two games. But by, but he hasn't had anything serious in season where he has had to come back and hit the ground running. So, and I'm not doubting him. I'm just saying I want to see how he reacts to that. This is a guy who... Everybody talks about this. First guy in the field takes endless, endless, endless extra fielding drills. Is he going to be able to do that on this knee? I don't know. Um, and, and that's, I mean, we just, we, we need to see that. Again, I'm not doubting him because Bo, from what I've told, has got a, one of the reasons he plays every day is he's got a high pain thresh, threshold. And we know what he's like. I mean, he's a, he put his nose to the grindstone and get the job done. But I think we need to see how that plays out because it is possible that he comes back and needs a day off every two days or something like that. So, um, yeah, but but I mean, certainly getting him back makes this lineup makes this lineup a lot better. And I th- I'm with John Schneider in that. I mean, the one thing you know about boats, you don't have to worry about the hitting is timing and all that. I know Barker has some concerns about it because there's a lot of moving parts, but I think Bo's enough of a hitter. He's probably one of those guys that could roll out of bed and go two for four. So, um, but but he has to be able to play shortstop for me. And I'm I'm hoping I'm hoping they they're not rushing him back because um, this is a dude who's going to be your guy for the next couple of years at least. And I mean, hopefully beyond that.
Yeah, his return to the lineup obviously holds the key uh, to this lineup. But if you're rushing him back, then uh, you might be deferring what is uh, an issue that may just, you know, still exist. And and it has to be treated the right way. And if it means more Paul DeYoung at bats, then I guess uh, so be it. Uh, What's interesting about Whit Merrifield's season is it looks like he's he's done the thing that, like, guys lower in the lineup would do, shorten up a little bit and just try to have productive at bats. But he's using it to maybe capture the biggest um, uh, payday of his entire career uh, later on this offseason if and when, uh, you know, he gets to the point where he's negotiating uh, freely. Uh, so I guess my question is, why isn't the Merrifield approach spreading like wildfire? Why are these guys who are struggling at the dish, unlike Merrifield, doing things that Witt, or Witt has done, just sort of make things a little easier, whether it's looking fastball with a shortened up uh, grip? Like, w- why isn't what Witt's doing something that other guys are at least uh, trying to do, or at least uh, obvious to me that they're trying to do? I mean, you know, first of all, Witt's approach wouldn't work for everybody. Um you know, in terms of, of, of choking up in the bat, that's that. I mean, that's, you know, people throw that out as, oh, everybody should do that. Well, actually, no, <laughs> it's not. It, if you're not comfortable doing it, you're not comfortable doing it. Um, the, the thing that separates wit and to a certain degree, Danny Jansen and Bo Bichette from everybody else is just that they know who they are as hitters. They've got an approach. That approach doesn't waver. And more than anything else, you watch those three guys go to the plate. Now, they they. Wit and Danny don't always get results, but you come away from that at bat thinking, okay, they came close or they put the ball in play or at least they went up there looking like they were ready to attack, looking like they had a plan, you know, looking that they were ready to be productive. You just don't see it from most of the guys in this team. And, you know, I don't think it's a lack of hard work. I tend to think that... I tend to think there's an issue with some of the strategy this team's using. Uh, you know, that, that series against Boston, we saw a team-wide approach. It didn't last. I, I don't think, I think we're, we're beyond that point right now where we can expect these guys to have a team-wide approach like the Baltimore Orioles do. I just think it's a philosophical thing with the Blue Jays. It's the way the Blue Jays, it's the strategy they use and the way they impart that strategy to their hitters. And, you know, to me, that's something you're not going to correct in season. That That is what it is. But it is interesting. You know, I think you could, you could make the case, I think, that this offense in the past three years has regressed a bit. It's not what it was. And, you know, whether that's uh, the fact that these guys were playing in minor league parks during COVID, um, that, I think that, that might have something to do with it. But... There is an issue with the strategy this team uses when it's at the plate. There's an issue with the way, I think anyhow, the way players are being told to approach things. And, you know, there are guys who are basically, it's not like they're saying, screw you, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. But there are guys who I think have a better idea of who they are as a hitter. And they can kind of take this information and go, yeah, okay, whatever. You know, if you're Danny Jansen, it doesn't matter what anybody tells you, you're going to go up and try to pull the ball because you know that's what you do. You know, you're not going to be a guy who's going to use the whole field. You're going to pull the ball with power. Try to be productive that way. And Whit Merrifield, he's got a sense of who he is as a hitter. And, and I just think that for whatever reason, there's like five or six guys in this team who go up to the plate and you, know, you watch their at-bat and you go, you know, Vladdy's a perfect example. Barker makes his point all the time. You watch Vladdy, you go, what are you looking for? 
<laughs> like you're, you're you're swinging at everything. You're swinging at pitches that are, and it's not just that you're swinging at pitches that are out of the zone. You're swinging at pitches that you can't do anything with, even if you make contact. And 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 sometimes I think, and I've said this, I think Vladdy, you know, Vladdy came into the game. Everybody said, you know, Hall of Fame father, Hall of Fame father who could hit a pitch that was thrown anywhere, ball bounces in the dirt, he could hit a double with it. Um, you know, Vladdy heard that. You heard that you have to carry the team. And I just, you know, at some point, I think, at some point, the league figures you out and you've got to adjust to them. And it's not just enough to sort of get by on, on, on whatever, whatever natural, whatever natural talent you have. And, and I think that's a real, I think that's a real issue for Vladdy. And, and I don't, again, I, I don't think you'd correct that in season. I, don't think a switch will go on. You know, maybe Vladdy will go on a roll and have a nice September. That's entirely possible. But I, at this point, are you expecting it? Uh, I don't know. All right, Jeff. Well, we appreciate you jumping on this morning. And if you have Kikuchi fever, um, embrace it. And there are no symptoms. I mean, there are no um, me- no medication for it. So let it just take over your body. <laughs> okay. I will do that. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Chat soon. Take care. There's no coming back from <laughs> Kikuchi fever. Is that what you're saying? No <laughs> side effects, it, no symptoms? stuck in your blood. Okay. Uh, that was our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Blue Jays back in action uh, with uh, our guy, Kevin Gosman and Aaron Nola on the mound tonight. Then they have an off day, and they head to Cincinnati to play the Reds, which will be a fun, fun series. That's at 7 p.m. tonight, and that's on Sportsnet and Sportsnet 59 the fan of course and it's the the jays care um broadcast auction as we mentioned before we talked to jeff there's lots of great things to bid on and always donations and you can check that out um all over our network today uh looking forward to that uh bad news though out of the uh, canadian basketball world you ready for it (sighs) i'm ready for it jamal murray uh will miss the FIBA Men's Basketball World Cup, unfortunately. Uh, he released a statement today saying when in tra- when he came into training camp, wanted to see how his body would respond after a long and demanding season and if he'd be physically able to compete at the highest level required in consultation with medical staff and the team. It is clear additional recovery is required and he's made the difficult decision not to participate. Boo. That's same really old, disappointing. Same old, isn't it? Same I mean, old, it, same old. I will say it... It makes sense. He played a very, very long season, and he represented his team. And he so why toy with us? I understand. I'm still disappointed, and it sucks. But like out of everybody, maybe I have a 10 percent more grace for Jamal Murray because yeah, he had a long season, and unfortunately, this kind of feels like Groundhog Day. You know, it, it is happens, Groundhog Day. It happens. It happens. It happens. Every so single I think time, it's it happens. Very, very true and natural to feel disappointed when you hear that because this is a big one. Starts How out, about Jordy Fernandez coming on with us when we were doing yeah, drive time? He and he's like, he's like, don't talk about Jokic LeBron. There's it a guy on him. my team yeah. who's going to be playing for this team this summer who's just as impressive. And, uh, you know, despite those words and maybe despite the flattery that was required to get people to be involved. Uh, he's still not going to be playing for Canada so at the that, FIBA World Cup. Open, he says the Olympics still his dream, and that he'll mm-hmm. be there when the Olympics happen. It's just that you know, gotta you know, you gotta ha- you gotta get there. You gotta have the guys yeah. to get you there, and maybe they do. I hope they do. I think they do. But listen, like this is just the same thing over and over again. It's endlessly frustrating uh, that the buy-in just isn't there. 
They kick off their tournament versus France on August 25th, so less than 10 days away. No Jamal Murray. The rest of the team's going to have big, uh, big expectations. It's still. all on our guy Shea. No excuses for Shea. I know yeah. he didn't play late into June, but no excuses for our guy. Too bad. Um, we do have a World Cup final set, though. It's today during the show. We had Australia and England going head-to-head in the semis. And it will be England and Spain in both of their first-ever World Cup final appearances. So we'll have a new champion to be crowned. That game is Sunday. So Monday when it rolls around, we'll have the real results. But we'll ta- chat with Julie Stewart-Binks after the break. I've uh, been covering the World Cup. And of course, a big football fan hosting the football show on Sirius XMFC and host of Off-Air Podcast. So now that we have this head-to-head, uh, who has the edge? I looked and it's pretty much a draw when you uh, look at the betting lines. But she'll know more about the tactical approach for both of these teams, mm. um, what separated them to get to this point. And we'll talk a little bit about USA and Canada and their short tournaments with high expectations. And that's all next. And we'll do a wake and rake to wrap up the show coming off a wake and rake win last night. So let's keep it rolling. Send those picks in five ninety five ninety. We'll do that after the break. Julie Stewart Banks. Dive deep into Toronto sports and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkus podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, back on the Fan Morning Show, Sports at 590. Fan, it will be England versus Spain. Sunday for the World Cup. Two first-timers. Going to be a new champion. It's been a fun tournament to watch, especially with our hours. (laughs) Kind of hard to believe that uh, first time for England, first time for Spain. It does sound shocking. but Because that's like a pretty, like, yeah. Those are big names. Probably expect England and Spain to be playing in a World Cup final at some point. Yeah. But um, that is that is the case. Uh, let's to talk about that and more. Let's bring in our next guest, Julie Stewart Banks, host of the football show on Sirius XM FC and studio host at SNY. Uh, good morning, Julie. How are we doing? Hey guys, I'm doing great. I've been up for like a uh, hundred hours <laughs> after going to bed super late after hard knocks. So uh, mm-hmm. I am I am living the football slash soccer slash football dream. Um, it was an incredible semifinal match. So I'm very happy I got up for it. And I'm also on the rooftop of my apartment. So I apologize if you hear any construction <laughs> in New York City because that is par for the course. Okay, wait. I want to ask you about Hard Knocks because uh, did you watch? Was that the episode with the Aaron Rodgers and the Oz Perlman magician guy? Yeah, it was it was amazing. Yeah, okay. I saw that <laughs> clip online where, you know, they do the card pull, and it looks like Rogers is not interested. He's like, I'm not going to believe this. And then he guesses the card. Anyway, I won't spoil that, but i got to watch Hard Knocks. No, and it, it gets even better, too. Oh, okay. Like, that trick, it's, it goes to the next level where, yeah, Rod, Rogers definitely believes in magic after Okay, well, that's do good. I. Magic is undefeated. Okay, okay, okay look at that. We saw a little <laughs> magic um, with England advancing to the final. So we have Spain. We have England at the World Cup final on Sunday. Now, how do we get here? Because it's a long tournament and you're up for hundreds and hundreds of hours watching this. Uh, was this a final that you would have predicted early on? Actually, 100% it would be. Like, it's just Spain heading into this one has been looking so good. And a lot of people had said, okay, yes, yeah, Spain is one to watch out for 
for the U.S. women's national team. People were talking about that here. And the only hesitation I had had was that they had had some off-field issues with their federation. And so for those of you who don't know, like last fall, 15 members of their national team wrote to their federation saying that they wouldn't play unless their head coach, Jorge Zilda, was going to be removed. So the Federation did not listen to those claims. They kept him in place. He is still the coach right now. And only three of those players ended up being called into this national team camp and uh, into this World Cup. And a couple of them said, you know, we're really upset we're not, you know, playing in the World Cup, but our values mean more. And so seeing um, this sort of off those off-field issues, I was curious how that would impact what was going on on the field. Obviously, we know that Canada is dealing with their own issues with their federation. And also England is dealing with issues with their federation as well in just terms of um, having their bonuses from FIFA being paid to them from the FA instead of the like the football association in England would normally give them bonuses for getting to a certain point, but they were going to use FIFA's bonuses sort of like as a replacement, which they felt was obviously not fair in that regard. But I was curious how that would affect Spain. Obviously, they've done really well on the pitch, and these women have come together. And it has been an interesting sort of feeling around them because you want to see them do well. You never want to see – you don't want to root against anyone. And so maybe these women getting this platform, getting this far, obviously I'm talking about it on this radio show right now. People are talking about it around the world, about just the fact that they are playing with a coach that they – that they don't want because of how they how he's treated them and their health and well-being. So we get the message out there. Even if they don't win the World Cup, it's already become in the spotlight, and it also helps Spain, who hasn't put a lot of money and resources into their women's national team for so many years, but now they are starting to do that. Then on the flip side, you have England, who has been a perennial contender, and they were in the last two semifinals, and I tweeted about it before, but I was on the sideline in Canada when England lost to Japan in 2015, and it was like one of the most heartbreaking, insane sports moments of my entire life where England had an own goal in the second half of stoppage time, and they lost 2-1 to Japan, who then ended up going on to face the United States. And so it was it was heartbreaking watching that for them, seeing how close they had gotten. Uh, I really got to be around the Lionesses a lot because I was on like every other team but USA. So it was, it was really neat to see how everyone else worked. And they've done it without so many of their key players. Like, so many of them were out with injuries heading into this tournament, and then they had lost Kira Walsh for a a couple matches. And then, of course, Lauren James is out on a two-match suspension. And um, Serena Wiegmann, their their head coach, has just been, like, a tactical wizard. She is just – she knows how to face every single opponent. She knows how to work her team well. And she was the manager of the Netherlands in the last World Cup against the United States in 2019. So Spain and England, arguably two of the best teams that would have made the World Cup even ahead of time. And now they're going to be going up against one another. It will be a, a master class of tactics, possession, I'm I'm very interested to see how this goes and see who's available and, and how they play. But I think uh, I got England in this one. Well, that's important context on both sides. I mean, you mentioned Spain playing, you know, without some key players, having some divide between uh, themselves, the roster, and the coaching staff. It's interesting to me because I haven't seen all of Spain's matches. Uh, you know, of course, getting up early uh, is difficult to see everything at this World Cup unless you're really, really dialed in. But what I have seen is just them playing with, like, 
an abundance of joy. Like it just seems like they are the one team that is free flowing, having fun out there with nothing really seeming to bother them. So uh, I didn't know uh, the backstory there, but it seems a little, uh, it seems like it contrasts what I'm seeing uh, out there on the pitch. If I'm going to like draw a parallel, I guess, between both teams, it's that they have an abundance of scoring options. I don't know if that's like, Hey, blind bet the over in this world cup final, but it just seems like if I can link these two teams, they have, they don't rely on one person or one girl to score. Uh, they have a lot out there on the pitch and their goal scoring can come from a variety of different sources. Is that one way to look at the final that both these teams have, uh, have options aplenty in terms of the goal scoring department? Definitely. I mean, it's, it's kind of a new star, almost like every match. And even just in the one we just saw against Australia, uh, Ella Tony, she came in for Lauren James and she scored the first goal for England, which was like an incredible strike off of a set piece. And then just seeing, of course, um, you know, some of the younger players for, uh, for Spain doing well and coming off the bench and scoring and, and finding just finding ways to, to put the ball in the back of the net. And it's, it's really exciting to see that because then, you know, of course, it's not just set on one player. Like we were all waiting for Sam Kerr with Australia. She started today for the first match ever. And oh my gosh, she had one of the best goals I've like ever seen ever. And it was like, it was lightning in a bottle. It was so exciting, but she's been one of their players to score the goal. Like she's their main their main starlet in a way. But then when you look at, yeah, England and Spain, they're both very deep in what they have going on. But I will say, Justin, I would never go in a final betting over just because, especially in soccer, because, mm-hmm. you know, they're always just trying to, like, not make a mistake. It's a bit more cagey, I would say, especially for these two sides that are both very, very good and clinical and tactical. They'll be trying to, like, feel each other out for, like, the first, 45 and then maybe the game will open up but like I'm very curious to see how either one plays because as I mentioned like they will play differently based on their opponents and both of them are very good so yeah I I I I would pick a different bet for that (laughs) fair enough all right so Spain and England uh, 6 a.m on Sunday morning for the World Cup Um, let's talk about the United States because uh, there was a lot of tension there as well it looked like um, even from former players calling out the current players a little bit of uh, controversy at times what do you make of the situation on and off the pitch I guess with the United States short run and one of their shortest tournaments ever well, I think they really, like, I personally just felt they obviously didn't perform up to standard. They were, they they needed to be better. Like, it was blatant. It was blatant that, like, they they didn't have team chemistry, but this was something that was apparent from back to the Olympics in 2021. They, under their head coach, Vladko Ananovsky, who I believe has his days are over as the coach of the U.S. Women's National Team just because that has been really the rhetoric with this. You have so much individual talent, but that doesn't make you a good team. And so I don't think these players were put in the best position to succeed. And I feel I feel badly for them because they are so good. They have so much depth. The way the substitutions were used slash not used was, was mind-boggling. And I, I honestly just think the moment was almost too big for Blacko. And I say that with respect because I do believe he is a good coach. And I watched him coach in the NWSL. But I don't think he was the right coach for this team. And so, sure, you can blame it on the players and say they don't have a winning mentality and all this stuff that's coming from former players. But, but we don't know what's going on inside of, like, I want to know what's going on inside of Blacko Ananovsky's head to decide 
who's going to start where. There was so much controversy over, you know, Juilliard comes back into the lineup. Oh, she's a, a center back now. She'd been playing as a defensive midfielder for so many years. She could have been slotted up there in a double pivot and, and given Alana Cook, who has been so great in the back line, an opportunity there. And then it just felt like the pieces up front that were so good. We know everyone knows Alex Morgan's a great player. She's, you know, a different player now at 34 years old, but she's playing alongside these two younger players in Trinity Rodman and Sophia Smith that like, they don't, they don't work together well as, as a front three. So it was like, it, it just felt like you just didn't have the right people at the dinner party to be able to have like, you know, a great murder mystery to be pull off. I don't know. I'm just making like a stupid <laughs> analogy yet, but like you have the pieces and you obviously have like the depth in this country, but it just wasn't used well. And I think that's like, what we can take away from that is, like, it doesn't matter how good you are unless, like, as a team, you can figure it out together. Do, do you pull any parallels when you talk about the United States team and Canada's team and where they fell short or where maybe decisions were made that didn't put people in the best position uh, to capitalize and, and what was Canada's disappointing run at the FIFA World Cup as well? I think it's there are some similarities in terms of lineup decisions and whatnot, but I think that the overwhelming, the overwhelming issue for Canada wasn't uh, that it was. You know, they weren't they weren't prepared. They weren't given the right opportunities to succeed based on issues with their federation. And this is something that the U.S. has already gone through past that milestone. Sorry, gosh, there's construction everywhere here. Um, <laughs> okay. They'd already gone past that that milestone, and so like I just felt as though Canada they, they weren't even given a, a level playing ground even heading into this tournament. So. I really, like, I, I got so upset when I'd hear people make fun of them saying, oh, they have an Olympic gold medal? Like, how? How does this team have an Olympic gold medal? I was like, okay, well, this is how they have an Olympic gold medal. First of all, it's a very different tournament than the World Cup. But secondly, like, they were in a very different position than they missed a number of players this World Cup. They also didn't even have, like, a send-off game. They weren't given the same kind of resources to be able to compete. So you can't expect, like, I said this analogy on my show, but, like, you can't expect, um, you know, a dog that you neglect and, like, don't feed properly and don't give them, like, warmth and shelter to win best in show. Like, it just doesn't it just doesn't work like that. And a lot of people forget all these different backstories of these teams and, like, what they've gone through to get to this point, and then they just see them lose 4 nothing to Australia and go, oh, well, they suck. Obviously, their gold medal means nothing. It's like, no, no, no. This is so much bigger than that moment. Uh, that's all true, and I'm I'm like the first person to slam Canadian soccer when I get the chance. Uh, and it is true that you know Canada, even after winning the gold medal, it wasn't like everything was rosy. But I also think there might be a talent issue with Canada too. I mean, this team was still it felt like built around a 40 year old Christine Sinclair. Uh, it, do you see that there's a talent issue at all there with Canada? Like, are is the next wave coming in a manner that's going to be able to maintain that level? Or it, do you just see it as, you know, uh, a, a federation failing them? Uh, is, is it two things and predominantly one? Or is it just the fact that they're not getting the support that they need and the talent really is there? It just was not, uh, as you mentioned, it was neglected in a way that, you know, a puppy might. I think there's talent there, but I think if you're looking for the next wave that, that intertwines into the Federation in terms of, you know, a, a number of players like Sinclair, Diana Matheson working on having a domestic league because Canada doesn't have one. Even, you know, Spain and England have their own domestic leagues. Of course, there's the NWSL, but to, to have a league in your own country means that you have more opportunities for players across Canada to be able to, 
um, get to play. And then you get more and more people playing, and then you get to develop talent. Maybe there's players out there that you have no idea exist that are very good or have the even potential to get to the next level. And, and if you don't have a league or opportunities for them to play, you're never going to know who they are. And John Herdman has spoken about that on both the women's and men's side. So more that you can do with your federation in your own domestic league and country and being able to create a domestic league, you're going to find all those players. And, like, that's why the U.S., I mean, they have so many. They have such incredible colleges. They have teams. They have scouts everywhere. They have, they have everyone looking for talent all the time around this country. And so you see so many incredible players that it's even hard to get. It's so hard to get on to the U.S. women's national team. In Canada, sometimes it's even hard to find the talent because there aren't the resources there to locate it and to develop it from the first place. So I think that, like, this is a real wake-up call, obviously, for the Federation. And I think that that's good. Like, if you're going to lose and not win the World Cup and you're going to have this kind of embarrassing moment, you hope it just sparks change. Because this is a country that is obviously very good at this sport and it's created a huge generation of fans, of people that are playing it, we look back to even 2012, the uh, London Olympics, where uh, anyone can remember who was, who was, you know, if you can remember back to then with Christine Sinclair being upset about the semifinal match against the United States. That created like a wave of interest into, into the Canadian women's national team. And so then that created also a generation of people understanding that the Canadian women's national team existed and they wanted to play. And so you have to be able to... to right you have to you have to water the plants if you want them to grow so mm. all of that is intertwined into finding talent to take this team forward in the future and of course we know that Sinclair 40 years old in her sixth world cup was always going to be um more of a role player probably starting her wasn't necessarily the best option but then that's probably difficult for Beth Bev Priestman because this last match ever and it was for likely for the world cup so it's uh it was tricky in the moment there but i think you have a bigger issue at hand which you can't solve you just have to put the money and time into it i was going to ask you about christine sinclair's legacy but you know what? i'll save that for the next time we chat because i don't want to you know <laughs> write her career off yet but she might uh she might still find some uh gas left in the tank but i do want to ask you before we let you go um just generally like it was a great tournament in terms of storylines um unsung heroes breakout stars some really incredible matches that went to lengthy 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 penalty kicks uh what was your favorite moment or favorite game that you witnessed so far um before it all wraps up on sunday oh gosh i'm i i don't know what my favorite moment was i just think that I, maybe i think it'd be south africa making it to the knockout round mm. and just seeing like, um, you know, just that we talk about joy. Like they just had joy after every goal, like in their, in their match. And it was, it was so great. And seeing also the fact that like Morocco and Colombia made it through in their group and knocked out Germany in the process. Like so many of these nations that normally wouldn't even be involved in this level of competition made it through. And that's so huge. And seeing Jamaica who, um, you know, I helped donate to their uh, fundraising mm-hmm. cause to be able to go to the World Cup and do all this stuff. Just being able to, to prove that they deserve the funding and the money. And I think it's just great for women's sports on an international level. And that's what, like, I'll take away is that. And I think that that's a ripple effect. I said it last week, but just from the U.S. women's national team, like them fighting in the last World Cup, they were in the middle of their lawsuit with their federation over equal pay and watching the documentary LFG, which was on how they did it. It's like, you realize that 
they, they won the World Cup, and in the back of their heads at that moment, they thought, hey, this can help us with our lawsuit. Like, that's what they were thinking about at the time. And this is like, these players are trying to win a World Cup, and they're also thinking about how they're going to win a lawsuit and be able to get paid equally. And so, honestly, it's just the women and what they do and what they represent, and they inspire me so much. And I hope that they inspire everyone else, too, because it's it's an incredible showcase. 100%. I think there can be a lot of positive momentum from this. Uh, We've seen some great storylines, hoping that we see something great on Sunday morning as well. We appreciate you coming on uh, this morning. Enjoy the rest of the World Cup. Up, and we will certainly chat down the road, Julie. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, guys. That's Julie Stewart Banks, host of the football show on Sirius XM FC and studio host SNY and host of the Off Air podcast. And that's it. That's going to be England and Spain at 6 a.m. on Sunday morning. Yeah, it should be good. Uh, it feels like the right two teams, uh, despite your Matilda's allegiance. It's all good. Village. I think it's. Storyline. I think it's the right two teams, uh, and it should be a great final. Okay, let's do a wake and rake to wrap up our show. Wake up! Now it's time for Wake and Rake. You could be raking in the dough with your kind of accuracy. Show me the money! With Ailish and Justin. You win a couple Wake and Rakes and the texts start pouring in. We got quite a few to go through today. <laughs> um, it was a win yesterday. Three of five if we're dating Three back five. to last week. So things are, things are cooking. So I'm going to go under in the Phillies and Blue Jays game today. We saw a tightly contested game yesterday. Some great pitching. And I think we'll see the same thing today with Kevin Gosman and Aaron Nola. And the Blue Jays bullpen uh, not taxed too, too much. So under eight, I'm seeing it at. You can take it flat or go to eight and a half, whatever you want. Got to be honest. Don't love the board. Have heard, though, that Aaron Nola is one of the guys who may be most affected by the switch to the pitch clock. A guy who's a little bit more deliberate, not having that opportunity. His mm-hmm. ERA has ballooned up to near 5, 4.98 uh, at the moment. I kind of just think the Blue Jays win tonight. I uh, love I, that, I think Justin. the Blue Jays win tonight, minus 150. It's not the uh, the greatest parlay piece, at least from a juice or value standpoint, okay. uh, to bump things up Hometown a little bit. Hometown kids, but let's go. If this is a Blue Jays parlay, I think it's the way to go. We've had a lot of success betting the under and a little success betting the Blue Jays. I think it's time for a little two-game sweep, uh, and Gosman's the right guy to uh, lead that charge. Okay, so let me read through some of these because I think we're all aligned. Uh, Brandon from Keswick says, uh, Jays Philly under, and then Kevin Gosman over strikeouts. We also have Corey from Port Hope saying Ellie De La Cruz over total bases tonight. Uh, we have uh, Courier Chris saying Merrifield over one and a half total bases, which continues to hit, and then also going with Gosman over Ks. Big E, Eric at Burlington says, Jays mining line, Reds and the under nine and a half, Rays and Giants game under eight and a half, and then the Rays mining line. And then finally, we have Will and Niagara saying Kevin Gosman over strikeouts. So we got a couple Kevin Gosman over strikeouts, three of them. I think that we go with that. Uh, yeah, I mean, three uh, three is probably hitting us over the head with it. It's got to be Gosman And similar yesterday, too, because I had Jays winning and Kikuchi over Ks, and then we had your Mariners to win, which got, uh, I looked, it was it like. got a little dicey. It, got, it, it was 7 nothing. I'm like, all right. I literally was like, oh, we're going to win this 7 nothing, And I refreshed the page, and it was 7-5 all of a sudden. So it kept us on our toes. But mm-hmm. if you're good with it, we could do a Blue Jays same game parlay today. Let's do it. I think that's the right move. Okay, so under in the Phillies Jays, which you can get at either eight or eight and a half. I'm seeing it at eight, so I'll do that. Uh, Blue Jays money line, and then Kevin Gosman over six and a half strikeouts. It's not the most profitable, but let's win it. Uh, plus three eighty eight. Love it. Honeymoon. Let's fund. do it. Wake and rake win is a wake and rake win. Uh, we'll be at Osprey Valley later oh, today. Yes. If you're there, come say hi. Ailish with four or five rounds playing all yeah, last but week. But I might in be PEI. more. I might have lost all my good shots. I don't out know there about that. East. I'm a little bit nervous. Uh, she might have no need to run over my ball in frustration. <laughs>
I do that a few times around. It's just fun. That's, I guess. Usually I'm driving ahead of yours to go get my ball, which yeah, is you are. because I've outdriven you. So You also play 75 to 100 yards in front of me. No, I've off played off the whites oh, every time. Oh, I might have a chance then I've played off the whites it's, ever, every single time since you ripped me for I playing off the you. rim. You, you should do what you ripped were. me, You Justin. missed it. We don't have time. You missed Bryson DeChambeau advocating for everyone to hit off forward tees, everybody to hit off forward tees because you get used to going low. You should be do. It's within your right. You no, should do what you want to do. We'll shoot from the whites. No All problem. Right. We'll see well, how it I goes. Might, I might be blues. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll see. Uh, great show today. Thanks. Uh, great guests. Daniele will be back tomorrow. It's baby Friday. It's been a while since I got a little baby Friday action in there. Uh, Blue Jays off day tomorrow, but you've got tonight, Aaron Nola and Kevin Gosman on the mound. We'll chat with you tomorrow.